What's up, Sammy? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Bikini Things. You got your girl, Laura, and Sammy here, and we're very excited today to talk about budgeting for competitions. Yeah, this is a question... I know you said you get a lot, I get it a lot, and it's a lot it's a big thing that people don't take into account when even considering wanting to compete. So it's definitely really good that we're going over this because I think this is the most important thing or one of the most important things, obviously, aside from you know, training and nutrition when it comes to prep and competing. So I'm excited to dive into this a little bit deeper. Me too. Me too. This is something that you guys, like we understand Sammy and I are both pros, but even as a pro competing is definitely not free. It's still an expensive hobby. And until you're about the top five in the world, it's a, it's a quite expensive hobby for the rest of us. Yeah. So we get it, believe me. And this is something that comes up. I had, a, I had a posing client once who realized she couldn't do her national show after a string of regional shows. Cause she just literally didn't have the money. Um, I created this little guide a long time ago because I would have so many clients that needed help budgeting. Uh, one of my clients, actually Stephanie, who competed last weekend, before uh-huh. she and I even started together, I provided this to her because we did we did a lot of talking and consulting before we decided to move forward. And part yeah. of, I think, what won her over was I sent this to her before she was even my client and it allowed her and her husband to budget for her potential competing expenses. So. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about this and this guide, I wouldn't say it's a, it's an end all be all, but it gives a lot of the common things that we have to factor in and we'll go through them. We'll talk about each of them and really you, the listener, what I want to encourage you to do is create your own list, you know, create a little Excel document or just on scratch paper, whatever works best for you and really map out these expenses. Some of the costs, we'll talk about why they vary you know, regionally, the cost of the registration at a show could vary a lot in a low cost of living area like South Carolina. It might be a lot less than somewhere here like Los Angeles, San Diego, where competing is very popular and we have a high cost of living. So, um, so let's just jump right into this, Sammy. Do you want to, we can just kind of alternate, but you want to touch on some of these expenses and things that we have in here? Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, so we'll start off with the MPC card, but there are two things that aren't on here that like, while it's not the thing that you think of first and foremost, but it's super important too, before even the actual show day is training and posing, training, nutrition, and posing. So I feel like those are, while yeah, competing is a big, you know, cost, actually paying for a coach, paying for a posing coach and paying for your groceries every week. Those are all really big costs. So I'm going to start there. Um, so you have to factor into finding a coach, finding a good coach. That's the one thing you don't want to cheat out on and find just the cheapest coach. That's just, you know, fits your budget. Obviously you want someone that fits your budget, but you don't want to cheap out on quality of a coach for the quantity and the cost that they charge. Um, so that's one big thing. And then I would say, and obviously that cost is going to vary. So if a coach maybe has you know, a pay ahead deal and you buy six months in advance and they give you a little bit of a discount. Like that's also a great option, something to look for, something to talk to them about. Um, and then opposing coach as well. So you want to make sure that being on stage, you are radiating confidence. You know what you're doing and you really just have a very solid routine down that shows off your physique to the best of its ability. So you want to make sure you get a really good posing coach, AKA Laura or myself. Um, so if you guys are looking for a posing coach, definitely, um, reach out to us. Uh, pretty posing is our posing company. So you guys can reach out, ask questions if you want, um, schedule a consultation with one of the one of us. And then, um, yeah, so I would say leading up to your show in prep, I would say at least once a week is, you know, the bare minimum of what you should be doing for, for posing. If you're not in prep yet, maybe once or twice a month. So that's another cost to consider 
as a weekly cost and then your groceries so if you already have a budget sheet from your income and you have groceries in there just factor in that cost if you guys are weekly meal prepping eating the same thing every day your cost is going to relatively be the same if you're using a meal prep company going grocery shopping cooking yourself so i would say sorry that was a lot to start off with but you're good, you're good. um i would I say those are the things yes so let's touch on those that was great sammy and i've got some follow-ups so with the coaching because we didn't put numbers to any of these what would you say is a reasonable amount for a competition prep coach to charge i would say like anywhere from what should they expect what should competitors expect like 250 to $300 a month yeah, I think I agree. And and with a coach, I do think you get what you pay for. So, you know, something like that is very reasonable. If your coach is charging you significantly less than that, that's probably a red flag. Like if your coach is yes. charging you 100, $150 a month for your entire prep plan, like your training, your nutrition, your supplementation check-ins, that's not typically enough money for a coach to actually be profitable. So something is likely off there. Like it's just, it's just a bit of a red flag. Not to say it's not possible. Maybe your best friend or your man is a coach and they're giving you an insane deal, or maybe that's what it works out to. Maybe it works out a little less if you buy a year in advance or six months in advance. But I do think in general, you get what you pay for. And if something seems too good to be true in general, it probably is. So that's, that's something to keep in mind. And also too, Remember top coaches out there will charge more. Someone who, um, you know, has a history of Olympia wins or has a, has coached a lot of Olympians and may already have a full client roster, their price may be higher too. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would, I would say there's, you know, just think about some of the top coaches out there. They likely charge more. Um, then maybe what, as a brand new competitor, what you're ready to pay for, even if you want that top Olympia coach, a lot of people want to work with that person. So they're going to charge a premium for their time and accessibility. So that's kind of a ballpark is two to 50, 250 to 300 and up. And then keep in mind too, you know, someone like myself, right. I will have packages where your posing's included. So Mm -hmm. that also the coaching might be a little more, but you're actually probably sometimes when coaches offer that you're saving money because you're not paying for the posing lessons separately. Um, that's, that's maybe a good segue, Sammy. So what, what could people expect for the cost of posing lessons? So for the cost of posing lessons, I would say an hour posing session, roughly about $50 and a 30 minute session, roughly about $30. So I would say like a dollar a minute, in the grand scheme of it is pretty average. You have to factor in like if it's an in-person session and you're going to the coach or the coach is traveling to you, they might charge travel fees, things like that. So the cost might vary there, but I would say baseline, those are the average to expect. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I think that's pretty typical. Um, Again, significantly less than that, probably a red flag. Um, and you can also have posing coaches charging significantly more than that. I know some some Olympians who do posing lessons will charge more like 150 an hour because their their expertise and their track record is very high. So mm-hmm. that's where they kind of price themselves. Obviously, you have to find something that works for your budget and someone who's a good fit for you. So there's, there's so many options. Um, so you can work with myself and Sammy, but there are also so many amazing posing coaches out there, just make sure you've got someone qualified and, and not, I, I just never recommend don't go with someone who's competed one time. Um, probably not that experienced. And ideally too, I also think someone who is the same gender as you is best for posing. I would not try to teach a male bodybuilder how to hit his poses. And at the same time, I just don't think a man has the same understanding of a woman's body to really give all the good cues. And, um, I don't know, <laughs> techniques on, on how to hit those poses. Yeah. And then the last one that you mentioned, the food, this one, I actually kind of want to challenge you on because someone brought this up to me as well. 
And I actually think, especially in prep, I actually think your food cost is less than average. If you're in prep and you're a bikini competitor and you are not a pro bodybuilder, you're not a male bodybuilder eating everything in the kitchen sink on a daily basis. As a bikini competitor, I actually think our food cost is less in prep because while we are eating high protein, which is more expensive, you're not going out to eat, you're not drinking alcohol, you're not ordering takeout, you're not having dessert, you're not over consuming calories. So I actually argue that the food cost is your grocery cost for you is probably less during your prep. Yeah, I would say, um, depending on if you're using a meal prep company or if you're making at home, highly recommend bulk buying. Get a Costco membership, get a Sam's Club membership. Things like that are actually going to make that cost even lower. If you already have that, that's great. Obviously, you have to pay for the membership, but like I would say year memberships for them can be as low as $50. So just in that sense, like I know I buy a 25-pound bag of rice for like $15, and it lasts me months. I buy a whole thing of chicken that lasts me the week for $14. So like, I would say maybe a hundred dollars a week. If you're grocery shopping on your own, maybe 150 to 175, if you're using a meal prep company. So like you said, the cost is relatively low, but I think it's a cost that people forget to actually factor in. And it's a more reoccurring cost. So it's like not just a one show day cost. It's throughout your whole prep it's every single week that's something that you have to think about yeah yeah and you're you're spot on with the meal prep company yeah it could it could be more expensive if you're buying all of your meals or most of your meals so that's a good point um but yeah i agree i think i think when you're competing and you're very restricted especially if you're buying in bulk you'll probably save some money on your food mm-hmm. uh, so why don't we do this let's jump into the expenses here and i'm realizing as i'm looking at this because i did make this guide 2 to 3 years ago I think we actually need to speak to some of the costs and the price ranges because some of these, at least here locally in California, have increased. So Mm -hmm. we should speak to those. So um, for example, the NPC card, I just bought mine to have backstage access at shows. I believe the NPC card is now like 150 or something like that. Do you know what this is, Sammy? Uh, I'm not sure because I have once I – do you still have to buy the NPC card even with your pro card? Yes. So let's see. Um, let me see if I can find my, oh goodness. Um, the last time I had to buy it, it was 135. Okay. Yeah. I believe it's now, I believe it's now 150. I believe it's now 150. So it shows Sammy, it shows that our NPC only to go backstage, you need an NPC card. That's right. I didn't have to buy it because it was a pro show. That's right. Yeah. So if it's a pro show, you're fine. But like, for example, if you want to be backstage at Masters USA's here in California, there's no pro show. So you need an NPC card. Um, So I just got mine last weekend at the, I I believe it's 150. So there's Mm -hmm. that one. The show registration as well. So I put a range in here. Um, I had a gal who did compete in the Carolinas this year, and I believe her registrations for each class were like 135 to 150. But I okay. believe now muscle contest is like 195. Yes, that sounds right. So, and then let's extrapolate that out. How would how would someone budget for show day costs based on their classes, Sammy? So I would this is where I would talk to your coach and see what division you should compete in. Not division, class, because there's three different classes. You can do true novice, novice, or open. Then you have to think what is the most beneficial, right? So have you competed before? So that's going to determine whether you do true novice and novice. Have you not competed before? Again, that's going to determine whether you do true novice or novice. And then two, you have to think of what what's your goal. Are you just looking to get to the national stage? If Is that your main goal? Okay, then you know open is one class that you have to do. Are you looking for more titles, more trophies, more medals, things like that? Then novice, you're going to want to do that for the ability to have more stage time to get more wins under your belt. And then are you a first time competitor? Do you want to do true novice? That kind of stuff. So I would say figuring out what class is that how you would refer to it? A class, right? Yeah. A class. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What class is going to be most beneficial for you for your end goal? And then kind of determining that. And then 
I would say in terms of actually budgeting it, do the breakdown. What is, if you do 150, say it's 150, right? Just a baseline and you're doing novice and open, it's going to be $300. Okay. So during your 12 week prep, how much money do you have to set aside every week just to pay for registration? So it's like, that's kind yeah. of how yeah. an easy done would be for that one specifically. Yeah. But. And we'll talk, we'll talk about budgeting overall once we kind of go through these. Cause I think you're right, Sammy, but you also need to know the entire cost of the prep, right. Or just uh-huh. that you have the savings or income to sustain that. So you're right. I'd also say too, there's also master's classes. So don't forget you yeah. could really be doing, you know, four or five, even six classes if it's your first show. Um, mm-hmm. so it's definitely something to think about. Talk with your coach. As far as the tanning, I think the tanning price still holds up typically about 120 to 170 per show. If you do a national show that's two days, like a NPC USA's or um, NPC Nationals or something like that, you might need three coats of tan. And I also think if you do the Pro Tan DIY, I believe the cost is going to be a little lower than 120 to 170. So I think at one point I calculated it out because I bought so much Pro Tan this year. Um, and I think it's like 80 something dollars equivalent based on what you need. If you're a mm-hmm. giant person, again, if you're a giant bodybuilder or women's bodybuilder, women's physique, maybe you would need more. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty tall. So I've got, I've got to have a lot of surface area. So I think it's about 80 or 80 to $90 for the DIY. Yeah. Um, how about hair and makeup? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say. Like if you are, and this is just a side note, this is nothing to do with the budget. If you are going the route of DIY, practice at home first. You don't want show weekend the night before your show to be the first time you try to DIY tan yourself. And then now you're paying double the cost to now a late, probably a late fee, trying to squeeze in a time at the tanning booth, like with the tanning person at that show. So just a side note has nothing to do with budgeting, but if you are considering yeah. that route, dispersed. Yeah. But I think what I think what I learned this last season was I don't think I can do the DIY unless unless I have like a second person with me like I just need to do the wonders mm-hmm. tan every time. So yeah. it's not it's not pretty. Um how about hair and makeup? What are what are some ranges there? What are some options competitors could implement? Yeah, I would say the 200 to 400 is pretty average. I want to say this year it was like 250 260 for makeup and that was with V the makeup artist she is absolutely amazing i know there's a, you know a handful of other makeup artists in the industry but um i would say 2 to 400 is definitely average it's about 2 to 250 for makeup and 2 to 250 for hair so you know that's definitely a good range for me personally what i started doing this year especially because I was traveling and there's not many people that I trust when it comes to my hair. I started doing my hair myself. Um, so I would just curl it myself and I I normally don't keep straight hair for stage. I usually curl it. So I just curled it myself. I would curl it the night before. So I didn't, so I could sleep on it and then make any fixes the day of so that it wasn't like a last minute thing. Okay. Um, Were you like, were you pinning up your curls overnight? No, I would let them fall because I love that beachy wave look. I don't like the tight, personally, I don't like the tight curls. So I would curl it the night before and then it would settle and be set the day of. Um, But that's just also because I've done, like, I know how my hair sits, you know what I mean? So if you know how your hair is, it's just kind of what works best for you and what look are you looking for? Um. Uh, and then I know you have a lot of experience in actually doing stage makeup. So if your posing coach or a friend or anybody, you know, can do the makeup for you, that is again, a huge expense. I would say hair and makeup is probably the biggest expense aside from your suit. So if you can kind of mitigate those expenses for show day, those are kind of big ones that you can yeah, get past. Absolutely. Yeah, it's huge because I think even even Tan Masters, who I feel like is very reasonably priced for how amazing their artists are, I think it's about two fifty for hair and makeup. But then if you have clip-ins to style, they add fifty, so then it's like three hundred dollars. 
And then, uh-huh. then let's say you are doing USAs or a two-day show, you've got to buy it twice. So now instead of paying $300, you're paying $600. So it adds yeah. up quickly. Um, and actually the show last weekend on Sunday, because I had Pamela and Stephanie do both shows. They did the NPC show uh-huh. Sunday, Saturday. And then they did the West Coast Natural show on Sunday. Oh, that's right. And so mm-hmm. Sunday, I, yeah, I did their hair and makeup to save them both some money. And I charged them like, I charged them like a hundred dollars each, which is less than I normally yeah. charge. Like usually I, usually I charge just under $200 for both hair and makeup for show. And mm. I hadn't done it in so long for a client. I was like, I was very pleased with how it came out for both of them. Like Pamela yeah. she didn't like, she didn't like her professionally done makeup on Saturday. And so I changed up the colors and everything Sunday. And she was like, she was like feeling it. She was super happy. So that made me feel great. And yeah, and it was nice for them too. So then they're not having to spend as much. So definitely I agree. If you have a friend who's just bomb with makeup, there are little ways you can um, figure out how to do it. I had one of the questions that popped up in the question box was what is the shade of MAC makeup that matches the tan and the two shades. So ladies save this. The two shades are NW40 and nw45 so those like nw45 is a perfect match for like the protein super dark like if you completely coat yourself in protein super dark it will be like a perfect match nw40 is great for tans in general so you can kind of do your face in nw40 and then use the nw45 as like a contour too which i really love like i love I literally have your Instagram post on that screenshotted and favorited in my phone. I have not built up the courage to try to do my makeup myself, but I'm like the day that I do practice and start Mm -hmm. trying, I'm like, I have those set and saved. Oh, awesome. Actually, I can't even remember what post you're talking about. So send that to me. It Um, was literally from, I think when I started competing. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be from a while ago. So send it, send it to me. I think at some point I'll make a YouTube video doing a look like showing how to do it. But yeah, it's a, it's a huge skill. I've done my own hair and makeup for shows. Um, and I probably will in the future, although my hair is so just finicky. It's very frizzy. It's very curly. It needs to be blown out before each show is what I've realized. So you kind of just have to like learn what works for you and leverage your friends and loved ones that are really good at hair and makeup. Cause it can save you a lot of money. Yeah. Um, Cool. Okay. So let's talk about the suit. That's like the next, that's probably one of the biggest expenses, maybe outside of the registration fees and NPC card that comes with the show itself. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, this is exciting. So I'm going to do a little announcement too, now that we're on this topic. Um, so I have officially accepted a position as a suit stylist with Toxic Angels. Um, I have been an affiliate athlete with them since I started competing. Um, and that's actually how I met Laura and how our relationship started. I actually went to her to build my suit and then I needed a posing coach. So I asked her if she knew anybody. Um, so all good things come from toxic angels, but, um, you know, little bias, but it is what it is. So very soon here, if you guys are looking to build a suit or anything like that, reach out to me. I would love to help you. But um, with that being said, I would say the price range on here is still pretty relative. Um, I want to say maybe three fifty might be the cheapest that you can get, and that would be like a pre-owned suit, um, which is something that they have the option for now. They also have a buyback program, and then I would say the highest could probably go up to eight fifty nine hundred. Um, just because there's a couple add-ons that Toxic has now when building a suit. We have like the molded top, the full bling um, back of the bottom. So there's a lot of little add-ons. Again, things that aren't necessarily required when buying a suit. So the opportunities and the options are really endless um, when it comes to building a suit. But I would definitely say about 350 to 900 is kind of the price range. And, and that's Again, you can buy a pre-owned, you can rent a suit, you can design it down to the crystal yourself. Um, But yeah, I would say that's definitely still a good range. Yeah, I I agree. And you're you're spot on with some of the add-ons, like the molded top, the back connector, the full bling, those do add up for sure. I think I wrote this guide, yeah, two, three years ago. So you can definitely, you can get a suit, to be fair, you can get a suit for cheaper than 350 likely not from Toxic Angels. So I've had clients where they've ordered a suit off of Etsy 
And you can do that. Like I had one client who got hers from, I think it was just a woman in Ukraine, right? And she just was a suit maker and the suit was very pretty and it looked good on stage, but like the crystals are falling off. So I think it's one of those scenarios where you get what you pay for most of the time. Um, Obviously we both represent and recommend toxic angels, but you don't have to purchase from them. You can, you know, find a girlfriend who's competed and beg her to borrow the suit and take good care of it, you know? Um, yeah. you can rent a suit. I've had clients that couldn't afford suits. So they rented and they went through, um, the company was center stage rentals. And I know they strive to buy primarily toxic angel suits. So you could rent okay. a toxic angel suit potentially through them. It can be a little tricky to figure out the sizing and the cuts and all that, because again, it's not, it's not made for you. It's just a rental. Um, yeah. but that was something where the clients that worked with me, I could help them because I really knew the cuts and the sizing and I could present them with, Hey, here's, we're looking at, you know, cool colors like green, blue, purple. Okay. Here's all the options I found that would fit you. Which ones yeah. did you like? Let's, let's see if these are available for your show. So that can be done too. Um, and I'm sure yeah. there are other rental sites out there as well, or I've heard sometimes women will sell their bikinis on like Poshmark. So you can really get creative if you need, if you need to save on a bikini, just get creative. I'm sure you can find a way to save some money. Yeah. And to, oh, I had something. What was I going to say? Oh, there's a stigma that for every show you need a new suit. When you turn pro, you need a new suit. I have been wearing the same exact suit for the last two years. My uh, NPC, all of my NPC shows, I wore my Tricot Jade. My first season for my pro shows, I wore my Tricot Jade. I, you know, I'm like this close to still wearing my Tricot Jade this this year, but now now that I am like more exposed to news, I'm like, okay, maybe we need to switch it up just a little bit. But the stigma that you need a new suit for every show you do, that you need to change it up, absolutely not. You pick a suit, find a color that fits you and just run with it. Like there's no reason to spend, you know, three fifty to $900 every time you compete. Right. So that's like super absurd. And I feel like not super absurd. Obviously people do it. If you can afford it, by all means do it, but don't feel like you have to. No, um, yeah. Yeah. That's, it's just crazy. I, I try to always remind, cause that's a question that does come up too from time to time. It's good good call there, Sammy. We're women. We get bored of what's in our closet, right? We get bored of the, we have a gorgeous, you know, bikini, but we see another bikini we like and we're like, Oh, I want that. My old one sucks. You know, it's just, it's just like this hedon, you know, the hedonic treadmill, right. Of just like wanting Mm -hmm. more belongings. You're a great example of the fact that you do not need it. You, you know, place top 10 at pro shows, did your first show turn pro all in the same suit. Um, Maya Estabi, she's another example of that. She, I believe won her pro card, did her first season as a pro and qualified for Olympia all in the same suit. That was back in 2020, like 2019, 2020, if I'm remembering. So you really are Ali, Ali Votner too. I think she might've switched up her stones a little bit. I don't know for sure if it was the exact same suit. It might've been, but she turned pro this year. I believe she won the overall at junior Nats. And then she was placing top five at pro shows all wearing red. So even if she did switch up her suit, she was wearing essentially the same color. You don't, you don't need to switch it up. Find one that works for you. And Sandy says this all the time at her seminars, just find something that works for you. That looks great and stick with it. Yeah. And too, like that's where the quality of it comes in too. If you're spending this money, you want to make sure that the quality of the suit that you're getting is good quality so that it lasts you. Right. When you're, you like you can do the math if you're spending $400 on a really good quality suit, but you're wearing it for three years, then, yeah. you know, that cost starts to sound a lot better because it's like, yeah, you're paying $400 up front, which is a large lump sum, but it's going to last you a few years if you take care of like taking care of it and things like that. For sure. For sure. So that's, that'll be probably a whole nother episode where we can do a deep dive on bikinis, how to pick one, how to care for one. Maybe we get the TAB crew involved. So we'll do that oh, in yeah, the future. Perfect. Yes. Um, so some of the other expenses on here, things like competition heels. I think this range is still pretty valid. I would say the upper end of shoes that they have available on the shoe fairy website are kind of in that, like probably 130 to 150 ish range. You know, you factor in shipping and tax, maybe closer to 150 if you go for like the most primo pair of Olympians. 
but you can yeah. also get you can get clear heels from Amazon. You can go to like the adult stores in your hometown and also find clear heels. Fabulicious was the big brand that Shoe Fair used to stock. They still have you know websites. They still have inventory on sale on all those websites. That's a little bit less. It's not, it's typically not going to be over. You're never going to see a pair of those for a hundred dollars or more. Um, so yeah. I think that range is still valid. Stage jewelry, this will vary too. It's it's costume jewelry, so you don't need to spend a fortune on it. But I always say you need at least a pair of earrings and at least one bracelet. Although most people probably do two for bikini. Mm -hmm. A ring is optional. So some of this jewelry, I think you can find nice bracelets and rings on Amazon, for example. But in general, what I've found, unless you're very petite, Amazon does not seem to have a ton of earrings that work for stage they tend to be a little small. So I prefer yeah. to go with Body Bling. That's that's the company I like to support. That's a woman-owned small business here in Southern California. And you know, each jewelry piece I would say is typically gonna be like fifteen to twenty-five dollars per per item. Does that sound like yeah. what you were thinking, Sammy? Yeah. And then that goes back to it too. Like that's another thing that doesn't have to change regardless of the color of your suit. That's why, like, it's nice. I know some girls try to get or tend to get colors, uh, jewelry colors that match their suit, what, like, which is great. It's super cute. I love that. That's why you did that this year, right? You had the red yeah. earrings with the red suit. Yes. It looks so good. But, like, if you're on a budget and you're looking, you know, to be a little bit more, like, cost conscious, just getting simple silver jewelry that's going to match whatever color suit you get, whatever color suit you have, you'll be able to use it for years. Just take good care of it. Make sure you package it properly, you know, store it safe, and you can reuse these things over and over again. No one's going to be like, oh my gosh, she just wore that three years ago, or she just wore that last weekend. Like, no one's going to they're looking at your physique, right? Yeah. Yeah. And with the jewelry too, I really feel like if you, and especially if you look at the top Olympians and stuff, like Janet Leigh was always an idol of mine when she was competing or someone like Laura Lee, for example, if you look at them and you study their stage photos, they tend to always wear the same jewelry. Like they find something uh-huh. that works for them, works for their look and they just keep it the same. So you're absolutely right. The jewelry can last just because because it is costume. You do need to take care of it. You need to package it, make sure it's not getting twisted or it can break. It's not, it's not, you know, heavy duty, fine jewelry. So you have to be careful with it. Um, it can break easily for sure. Um, so it's never a bad idea to have a backup set too, but maybe for your first show, maybe you just get one set of jewelry and then the next year, maybe you get a backup pair of earrings or something. And then you have two options as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I would say too, with the heels, it's always a good idea to have a backup pair of heels always. Yes. Cause if you lose them, you know, you, you're not going to be able to go find a pair of clear heels anywhere. You can't go pick them up at Walmart or target. If it, if it got, if your luggage got lost and your heels were in your luggage, or if you're not the type of athlete that wears mules. And I think most, most bikini competitors, wellness competitors are not wearing, are are, yeah, they're not wearing mules. They're wearing the heels with the straps. The straps break over time. So if you're practicing a lot, you're bending that plastic back and forth like a credit card. At some point, it's going to snap. It might not be your first season competing, but eventually, if you've had your shoes for a year or two, it could break. So I always recommend for my athletes to get a backup pair of heels, even if it's sometimes even if it's not their favorite style, like maybe they bought a style and then realize later this other style would work better. Mm-hmm. And there you'll see there's like guides out there. And I know we have one. We'll talk about this, like what you need on show day. There are so many guides out there. If you Google them that say you need a backup bikini also, that is also very false. I had this like thing, this notion in my brain when I started competing that my connectors on my suit were just going to break. And then I would be uh-huh. completely screwed and I needed a backup suit. And I was like, should I, bu- should I buy one just in case? Like, and that goes back to, again, taking care of your things, making sure you're buying quality. Like, that's another thing. That's one thing that I would say you don't need a backup for, but your shoes, no. definitely, definitely. Yeah, you're spot on, Sammy. If if you have a sewing kit, just buy a simple sewing kit and bring it to the show. 
you know, and then even if your connector breaks, okay, cool. You have a safety pin in that sewing kit to safety pin your suit back together or to stitch it last minute if you need to. So you definitely do not need a backup bikini. If you have more than one bikini, okay, awesome. Bring, bring one with you just in case, but you definitely don't need one. So that's, that's a big area where you can save cost if you're trying to map out mm-hmm. say your first or something. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. And then the last thing, these are going to vary a lot. The last few things we have here are stage photos or videos and hotel and travel costs. So Sammy, can you speak to these a little bit of, of what this might look like? Yeah, absolutely. So for professional stage photos and videos, this is going to vary show to show. A lot of shows have their preferred photographer or videographer. One thing you don't want to do is just assume that every show you're automatically going to get these things because that is not the case whatsoever. Um, A lot of these shows, they will have the photographer or the videographer there at check-ins for you to pay, but I would always look ahead and this is going to give you the opportunity to to incorporate it in your budget, right? Most promoters are going to have a list of vendors in terms of the tan, the tanning company, hair and makeup company, and a photographer and videographer. So even if you don't book right then and there, when you see it on the website, look to see what their policies are. Again, that's going to help you pre-plan for it. And I would say at least for your first show, get photos. The photos that people take from the audience are going to be lower quality. So depending on, and again, this is an optional purchase, but personally, I recommend it just for progression, right? At least if you do it just for your first show, and then maybe you compete a few other times and maybe you don't do it every single show, you do it every few shows, you know, depending on how frequently you're, you're competing. It's nice to have and look back on. Um, but again, optional, I'm just a little biased because I just love having the, like the memories and just having access to things like that. Um, but again, the cost is going to vary. I would say 80 to 250 is definitely the average cost for photo and video. Um, obviously local shows are going to be on the lower side. National shows are going to be on the higher side. There's going to be more competitors there. The quality of the videographer and photographer at national shows might be a little higher than at a local show because the person travels the world, like travels the world doing it. Those are the kinds of people that those are the kind of people that are usually at the national shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, someone like, someone like Gilco or something like that. And yeah, I believe or, his, his options well, and packages. Oh yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Walt yeah. Whitman. He's, and those are the two that <clears throat> like you don't, know about them until you see about them on Instagram. And then you're like, I want them. But those are the ones that you definitely have to reach out to beforehand and say, Hey, please put me on your book because otherwise you're going to be on stage and you're just going to assume they're taking photos of everybody. And you're going to reach out to them after and be like, Hey, do you have photos of me? And they're going to be like, who are you? And I've actually seen them post that frequently And they are also going to be the ones that are on the higher side because their quality, what they do while they're taking their photos, the way they post process them, the way they, you know, they put their own lighting on this stage, just the overall quality of those photos are going to be a lot higher. So that's kind of where that 80 to 250 plus varies depending on the packages that you receive from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would also credit to, I think, um, Omar with Next Level Media here in SoCal is amazing. Like a few, when I first started competing, I sound, I feel like such an old person saying this. We didn't have videos really. I think maybe you yeah. could buy something that came on a CD or something. Maybe, I don't know. I just remember there were photos and that was it. Yeah. And um, nowadays you have all these options for 4K videos, which are incredible. It's so great to see your posing and really see how you performed up there. And then, and then I agree too, Sammy, you don't necessarily always have to buy photos. I do think your first competition, it's a good idea because if you've never competed before, it's likely the best shape you've ever been in, in your life. So it's good to document that. And Hey, if you never do it again, you can look back and say, Hey, look at these cool memories of this thing. I did that one time too. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's so great. The options we have. 
So again, it's optional, but most of the time you'll probably want it. And then the hotel and travel costs, like this is going to vary so widely. So this could be almost nothing, you know, here, say here in Orange County, we have so many shows in Anaheim. If I were to, I, I ended up purchasing a hotel. I stayed at the host hotel, but the Iron Games last year, it's 20 minutes down the road for me. So yeah. I didn't need to stay at the host hotel. I could have spent essentially nothing on travel. And then there were times where the week that I flew between Nashville and South Carolina, I have a hotel every single night. I've got plane flights. So that really does add up. Um, and so you yeah, need to kind of map these, map these costs out. And that's why it's always, especially when you're newer to the sport, not just for the stress and lack of less logistics, it's going to be way better and way less costly just to do shows close to where you live. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you just brought this up because I was just talking about this with Chris, my husband. We were, for those of you who don't know, I know you know who that is, but um, we were just talking about something and we were talking about our, we have a Southwest credit card. So we get flight points. So we're like, okay, let's not use our flight points because we just had to travel back East. We're like, let's not use flight points for this. Let's, you know, actually put it on the credit card so that we get more points so that when I start competing this year, we start using our, our flight points for that instead, just to cut one cost out of, you know, the budget. Um, so that's something to think about. I'm not saying go out and open every single hotel and airline credit card, but if a credit card is in your, you know, budget means and you are respons able to responsibly utilize a credit card, and things like that without ruining your credit, that's something to think about. Either using, uh, you know, an airline credit card and then maybe signing up for a hotel point system. Those are usually free. So, like, we have Hyatt and we have Hilton. Those are, you know, very popular hotels throughout the U.S. and even, you know, international if that ever comes about. But just paying for hotel rooms, building up those points so that eventually down the line, when you are traveling and competing, you now have those points to kind of cash in as free nights. So that's something to think about too. Um, and just being really like, again, just being strategic about it. The hotels, those are usually free. The, the, the point system to sign up for it is free. And then, you know, it kind of just the conversions come along as you use it. But, um, that's definitely something to consider or think about if travel is in your future in terms of shows. For sure. Yeah. Good point there, Sammy. So I think we've pretty much covered all the main expenses that we have here for a show or even an off season and granted off season, way, way less costly. Most of the, most of the expenses are tied up with the show. Why don't we talk just briefly on our process for budgeting and how we go about, like, like you were saying, you know, deciding which things to put on certain credit cards to get points and things like that. Like, what is your process or thought process, Sammy, for budgeting for shows, for making sure that you're financially covered? At this point, you've done local shows, amateur shows, national shows, and now pro shows. So what does that process look like for you? Yeah, I would say... For me, I have an actual like finance budget sheet that I use for just obviously my daily bills, you know, to budget my income and things like that. So what I do personally is I take that Southwest credit card, my monthly expense for groceries, my trainer and posing, I put those on the credit card. Those build up points that I can then use for flights, hotels, things like that. Um, and then aside from that, in terms of like actual show day costs, I kind of add those up, look at what the total is, and then I divide that by the 10 or 12 weeks of prep that I'm going through. And then I add it to my budget sheet. So I'll put aside, say it's $50 every week for 12 weeks or $20, whatever the breakdown ends up being. And over the over those 12 weeks i kind of just put money aside so show day costs specifically are covered and then if i need to buy stage jewelry or anything like that that'll come out of that budget that i have in that savings got it okay awesome yeah that's i think similar to how i do things too um usually what i what i like to do is as i'm 
anticipating what my season looks like. I'll typically use Excel, although I've done it in more of a bulleted point format too. I like to kind of map out, okay, what are all the expenses that I should anticipate? So I think like last year, what I did, because I had four shows is like, I had a little Excel doc that had all the shows listed at the top, like, you know, Tahoe, Nashville, Clash, got added in last minute, Iron Games. And then I would have all the things like flight, you know, hotel, and I would kind of drop in what I thought the expenses were going to be. And in prep, like when I, and in general, I always think, and I think some, some areas that as competitors or just as people, we can fall short a little bit is just failing to budget in general. So if you don't have a budget, create one. My personal way of doing it, I used to use the Mint app. I switched away from that. I use the the Ramsey Every Dollar app. That one you do have to pay for, but to me, it is very seamless. It is really intuitive, really easy to use, and it helps me really feel on top of my finances at all times. So I like to use that and that's, it's the, it's called like the every dollar app. So basically the idea is every dollar of your income, you map out where it's going, whether it's savings, whether it's to spend on groceries, whether it's to donate some to charity and you map that all out each month because each month too, think about it this way, each month, our budget is not going to be identical. You know, you Mm -hmm. and I, Sammy, if we have one month with a lot of posing clients, we're going to have a little more income than maybe we had the month prior. So you have to take that into account. You also me being self-employed at times throughout the year, I have tax payments. So on certain mm-hmm. months, my expenses are going to be higher. So I really like that tool. That does not mean that that works for everyone, but I just encourage those out there to make sure you're on top of your money overall. If you're not on top of your money or trying to be on top of it, it's going to get away from you. It really yeah. will. And that's and where, it- yeah. And that's where competing is becomes impossible, right? If you're not on top of your money, of course, competing is not going to be possible. It's a very expensive hobby. You do need to plan for it. So, you know, if you have that perspective of writing out all the costs and this, this guide is intended to help you with that. Like it lists out all the main things outside of your coach and Hey, some people self coach, right? So it's not even a mandatory expense in some ways. Like obviously you're going to do better with one, but some people choose not to have a coach. So if you write out all of these, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Love. I was going to say, I think what you were saying too is a great idea. And that's what I was doing as well during my pro season, just to see like what shows were logistically and financially possible is mapping it out. Okay. What's a rental car going to be? Do I Uber? What's the hotel? What's, you know, the flights, things like that, hair, makeup, all that stuff. And it's like, okay, now you're looking at the big picture cost, the grand total of that show. And you're like, okay, is it, is it realistic? And then for me, during my first pro season, my goal was to get feedback from every judge. So I was like, okay, who's the judge at this show? Who's the judge at this show? Okay, I already saw that judge. So, okay, maybe this show's not realistic for me because do I need to get in front of them again? Because I, for me, this season was more about my feedback. I was chasing feedback instead of chasing a placement. You know what I mean? So it was like, okay, I got in front of Sandy. Well, Sandy's going to be the judge at this show. This show's a little pricey. So realistically, I probably shouldn't do that one since I've seen her already. So I'm like, okay, then I did that. I did it that way as well. So I I think definitely breaking it down show to show to see which one's more financially realistic for you is a great idea too. Yeah. And just really mapping out all the expenses. So it's like you can have totals per show because maybe, and, and I think you're plan and strategy for your first season was awesome, Sammy, but it's like, maybe you're an amateur competitor and you're just trying to maybe qualify and then go Mm -hmm. chase a pro card. Okay. You need to have your expenses really well mapped out because the national shows are expensive, like typically several thousand dollars for one, because most of us don't live in the six places that they have the shows each year. There's only one on the West Coast each year, USA's. The rest are on the East Coast. So for us West Coasters, we're going to have to get on a plane. And that's it's not the end of the world, but make sure you're mapping out your finances. Create that total. Create the subtotals for each show. And then if you realize, hey, this is more than I can swing. Like if my prep is four months and I want to save up for these expenses over this four months, you know, how much can I reasonably save to have 
ready to pay because your expenses are really backloaded. You know, I don't encourage mm-hmm. people to pay for all of your stuff up front because typically these show registrations, et cetera, they're not refundable. So I usually yeah. encourage my clients wait a little longer. You know, in general, most people are paying for things with a credit card. So do it closer to the show and just prepare yourself. And then if you yeah. have that money saved up, awesome, you're good to go. Um, if you don't, and you've put it on the credit card a little later, that gives you that extra month to, you know, have the income or get yourself a little more disciplined. So you're good. But then if you create this roster in advance and you realize like, oh, there is no way this math works out. My salary is this, and I can save this amount and everything else costs double of what I think I can save. Okay. What are some areas you can cut back? Can you borrow a suit? Can you do your own makeup? And then that really gives you the power to to tweak, okay, what can I really splurge on and what do I need to maybe save on if I want to make this plan happen? Or do I need to change my game plan? Do I need to decide on just like one national show or maybe instead of doing two regional shows, I'm just doing one before I get on that national stage, whatever, whatever that looks like for you. Absolutely. So hopefully, hopefully that's valuable for all of you competitors out there. Um, if we want to do a more in-depth breakdown or if that would be helpful, let us know. We could, you know, really nerd out on some Excel sheets at some point if that's if that's of yeah. interest. I think too what'll be nice is maybe we can even revisit this once our seasons start. And while, you know, a pro season is a little bit different, it's relatively, you know, the same. So once we have our own budget sheets, you know, formulated and things like that, we can, you know, save them and, and start showing like actual firsthand receipts and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah. that'll be something we yeah. can revisit. Do you have a uh, shows picked out, Sammy? Not, I have like a month, but not a show. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I'll probably compete in like June or July. Okay. Um, okay. So you're going to start soonish. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll probably, I still need like two months to grow because I've slacked off. So I'll probably start like end of March, beginning of April prep. Okay. So okay, it's like cool. right around the corner. Yeah. It's going to come up fast. That's exciting. Yeah. Very like cool. January is already over. So I know, you know, February is this week. So yeah, that's exciting. Okay. Well, why don't we segue to some of the questions that our listeners submitted on Instagram this week, Sammy? Um, if you want me to start, give me just a second to pull up. Uh, let me see the questions I got. So, okay, this is this is an, a good one. What is the difference between a refeed and a cheat meal? So I would say a refeed would be just an increase of what you're currently eating. So say like your meal plan has a cup of rice and six ounces of chicken. It would just increase what you're already eating. And a cheat meal would be an untracked, like in and out or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I would differentiate the two. They're very similar in the sense, because I would say some coaches consider a refeed as a cheat meal it just really depends on like how your how a coach processes it but that's how i would kind of differentiate the two yeah i think i agree i think they're very similar um they can be a matter of semantics meaning one coach prefers to use one terminology over the other for, for no significant reason. Personally, I I don't like to use the term cheat meal in general, because in general, I work mostly with women and many, many women, myself included, um, have emotional eating patterns. And Uh I want to try to help my clients because I feel like I've done this well for myself. I want to help my clients remove emotional ties to food and just be more objective, more rational about it. So if I call, like, if I want to give them a cheat meal, what I actually, the term actually use is free meal. Like, okay, go have a free meal with your husband, go have a date night. To me, refeed means we're in a depleted state. The muscle glycogen is likely very low. Um, They could be at a point where they could start losing more muscle mass if the glycogen is not rebuilt. So to me, that's what I call a refeed. And that's, that's typically what I'm doing in prep. However, to me, a refeed could still be burger and fries or 
or steak and rice or chicken and rice. It just, it's more yeah. about the purpose of that meal. Whereas a cheat meal can be too, it can be used in prep for sure. Or off season. I think to some extent it's to maybe also just help the client feel like they can eat foods they enjoy. Um, yeah. So they can be one in the same, but not necessarily. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, this one I answered on my Instagram story yesterday because I just felt it needed to be addressed, but let's cover it anyways. So the question is, do you have to have implants to be a pro bikini athlete, period, for real, period? Absolutely not. If you look at, and I don't mean that anyway. I do know that a lot of girls in the industry will get their implants after they start competing. And I will say that probably I, for, so for me, I got mine before I started competing because I started training. My frame started to get a little larger and I wanted to look more feminine. However, I've been wanting boobs since I hit puberty and had no boobs. So this was something on my radar for a long time. So when I did start training, my frame got a little larger. I got more muscle. I noticed that I needed, I wanted to look more feminine. So that was like kind of the drawing board for me. That was like, okay, now is the time. Again, personal preference. That's just how I saw myself. So many people were like, you don't need to do it. You don't need to do it. And I'm like, Great. I appreciate that, but I'm doing it for me. So I would say same for competitors. There's probably a lot of women that have that notion or stigma in their head. They see a lot of women, you know, at the pro level with implants. It's not because it's not the reason for their success. There's also a handful of women at the pro level who have no implants and are still super successful. So I would say oh, yeah. it's personal friends. And it shouldn't be something like, oh, I want to win, so I'm going to get implants. That should absolutely never be your motive for any sort of enhancement. Yeah. yeah. Implants implants will not be a reason you win or lose a show. And, and I want to really emphasize this. Sandy says this all the time at seminars because this comes up as she says, you do not need implants. If a coach is telling you you need implants to turn pro, fire that coach. It's yes. not needed. Our, our two-time Miss Bikini International, Laura Lee Shapato, she does not have implants. Ashlyn, up until this, I think this past year, she got, within the last year, she got her breast augmentation. She didn't have implants. She qualified for Olympia multiple times, including placing top 10 in the Olympia. So you really don't need it. There is so mm -hmm. much, like, you, if you need boobs, like, get a good Toxic Angel suit with the molded top, the stuffing. You can create boobs from that. Like, yes. you really don't, you really don't need it. That literally happened yeah. at, I was training yesterday in person. We put heavy pads and stuffing and the girl was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, yeah, you just got uh one tenth, one sixteenth of the cost of a, of an augmentation. I'm like, you're welcome. And now you don't have to worry about anything. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's really it's not crazy. necessary. And, um, you're right, Sammy. A lot of us, I know I got mine after my first show and it was always kind of a thought in the back of my head because I always had smaller breasts, like 34A, 34B kind of size. And I just thought like, oh, it looks mm -hmm. nice. It's very feminine. I see it on TV. And especially yeah. once I moved to Orange County where pure plastic surgery is very common. That's not a justification, but it is just, it's kind of part of the culture. And once yeah. I started competing, I went from like small boobs to surfboard. Like I was so flat. I was so mm -hmm. sad looking. I just knew, I knew there was a part of me that wanted to keep competing. I knew I didn't want to look and feel like that when I was dieted down. So I decided to go for it. Um, but that doesn't yeah. mean you have to. And, and I just want to encourage any athletes out there, like, please don't feel pressured. You know, your body is yours. You should make the choices that you feel good about and don't do something extreme, like going under anesthesia or having a surgery just because you feel like it's going to help you win a pro card. Absolutely. And two, it's like, think of it long-term. Like there are so many girls just in the fitness industry in general that I've watched that started competing, got an augmentation because of competing, stopped competing, and then were unhappy and got their, got, like got them taken out because yeah. their sole purpose was for competing. So it's like, think of it long-term, like your augmentation will be there for the rest of your life, but competing will not. So if you're getting it for a competition, that's not the right reason. So yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So the next question. Yeah. Good. Really good question. So the next question, we answered this already, but um, bring it back up is what is the MAC shade that best fits for show day? So the shades are, there's two. The main one is NW40, but I also always recommend NW45 in case your tan is very, very dark. If you do pro tan super dark on your whole body, that's the shade that will match perfectly. And if you have a slightly lighter tan, which most of the time you will, you can use that 45 as like your contour which will help bring out your facial features on stage. So we'll include that in the episode notes too. Yeah. Um, And then the next one I got was, can you talk about the benefits of wearing a waist trainer and when to wear it for competitors? Okay. Have you started wearing one, Sammy? Yes. Um, I bought a Slim Tum my last prep. And then I just recently bought the one that you suggested. Um, so I'm still relatively new to it, still doing my research and stuff like that. So I'm going to have you kick this one off because I'm still in the process of research. Yeah, no, I used, I, and to be fair, I feel, I feel funny about it because I used to always be so anti-waist trainer. However, I'm a scientist. I'm always open to reevaluating my opinions when new information Uh is presented. So um, one, one thing that came up this year in my prep was both mainly Jamie first. So Jamie's first started noticing that my core started looking very muscular this year. And to be fair, I've always done a lot of ab work, crunches, things like that to get a toned looking core on stage. However, mm-hmm. there is a point you don't, you don't want to have a chocolate bar or anything, but I always used to do a lot of core work. And so she started noticing I'm getting really muscular and she said, Hey, Laura, I want you to start wearing a waist trainer primarily for the purpose this isn't it's not it's not a corset unless you're wearing it like one so if you're wearing your waist trainer constantly eight plus hours a day it will work like a corset like old school you know 1800s move the organs you know squeeze that like seriously it doesn't it's not healthy but not everything we do in bodybuilding is healthy so like squeeze your midsection, move your organs. Yes, it will make your waist smaller. There are a lot of women who are not competitors, but who are just into that kind of pinup culture and look that do it. And you have a lot of evidence right there that that's how they can work, right? Um, I don't wear mine like that. However, talking to Jamie, um, she brought up that it would minimize pushing through my waist during training. Chris Psycho also brought this up to me. Um, also really pushed me to do the same thing to wear a waist trainer during my training. And then the last piece of evidence that I really needed to just say, okay, Laura, you got to start doing this was if you ladies have noticed, I'm sure many of you have how dramatically Ashlyn little has transformed her midsections. And this year her waistline came in so much and it was very impressive. And and she's someone I kind of knew a little bit through toxic angels and things like that. And she's been competing for a long time. And I just noticed the improvements and was really excited for her to compete this year. And then she and I spoke at the Olympia athlete meet and greet. And I was telling her, I was like, girl, you're looking so good. Like your waist has gotten so small. Like what are you doing differently? And she said a little bit of it, I think was maybe being more um, consistent with her vacuum practice, which is something I also recommend. But she said wearing her waist trainer during training was a game changer because she, like myself, she trains very heavy. She trains very hard. She trains really heavy. And during those exercises, especially, you can start pushing with your midsection, pushing with your obliques, and having more core development than you realize or than you that you would like. So the main reason is to give you that compression so that you have that awareness and mental cue to not use your waist when you're doing things, say, like deadlifts or hip thrusts or mm-hmm. any of these exercises, squats, where... Yes, you use your lower body and your legs, but yes, you also do use your core during any of those large compound movements. So I have enough anecdotal evidence to believe that it's it's a legitimate thing. So I've kind yeah. of changed my tune. I used to think, and and I used to kind of beat up on like, oh, corsets are, you know, wearing it like that is unhealthy. And now the, now the psycho part of my brain is just because like, again, not everything you're doing not everything we do in bodybuilding is healthy. It's like, Laura, yeah. do you want to win or not? Do you want a smaller waist or not? And I want to, I want to be competitive. I want to win. So I'm trying to get myself to step up wearing it more often, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to ramp up my use. I'm using it during my training now, but I'm trying to get myself in the habit of wearing it between meals. Um, Chris Psycho even told me I should wear it to bed. I haven't gone that far yet, 
mostly just because I most of the time feel too full at bedtime for my last meal to strap on a waist trainer. Yeah. And quality of sleep. Yeah. I don't want to give my, I don't want to make myself, you know, feel like I'm going to be sick right as I'm trying to go to bed. So, yeah. So that's my little spiel. Perhaps at some point I'll prepare some more formal information on that. So we can have a discussion because that is a, that's a question I'm getting asked a lot because I am wearing it. I'm posting about it. I'm talking about it. Um, and I want to, I want to provide good quality information. So maybe that could even be a future, a future topic for a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, did you have any questions that we should add to the list, Sammy? I think those were the the main ones that weren't covered in the episode. I, my kind of thing's not working, so I'm not seeing anything specific. Okay. Well, we can call it here. We've been on for about an hour at this point. Yeah. Let, let you get back to your Sunday and, uh, yeah, this, I hope this was a great episode. I really hope that the listeners got value out of this. If you guys have questions, comments, drop them on the YouTube channel um, on Spotify or any major podcast platform on Instagram and RDMs. Okay. Let's do, I'll do the official one and then TBD. Maybe I'll leave this in. It was cute. So you can find us, um, find Sammy at it's Sammy Joe underscore. You can find me at Laura underscore FBB pro. Our posing page is prettyposing.as.me online or pretty.posing on Instagram. You can find the podcast on Instagram at bikini underscore things. Go on YouTube and search Bikini Things Podcast or any major audio podcast platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, all the places. So we love you guys. Thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share it with your bikini besties, share it with your friends. That's how this will get out to more people. So please share, share, share. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.